Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. All right. Well, now I realize as I looked at the clock here why we were kind of moving along here a little bit. I think we're running a few minutes late than normal, but I'm glad you're here, and we're certainly looking forward to what the Lord has. I'm excited tonight about the lesson. Um, I'm going to finish out really a lesson that we started a while back. I thought about just dumping the last couple and moving on, and then I thought, nah, that's okay. We better not. And I added to it a little bit today, so if we keep adding to it, maybe we can make this last till next year. But uh, no, I think we'll be fine. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles. Turn to Job chapter 22. We're in our secrets of successful living, and we're talking about the benefit of knowing God. And we spent the first uh, lesson that on this particular, uh, well, on this issue of the benefit of knowing God. We spent the first one talking about the need for every fallen human being, every person alive that's born into the world that's still uh, has that atomic nature to return to the Lord and then to receive Him as Savior. And then we said that once you receive him as Savior, then that's when you begin, begin working on your relationship with him. And uh, we said it's important to make the distinction between mere theoretical knowledge of God and very experiential knowledge of God, actually experiencing him firsthand. And so we talked about all of that, and then we started, as I say, beginning on dealing with this, the benefit of knowing God. Now that we know him, what's the benefit of knowing him? I mean, and knowing him not just as Savior, but knowing him. You know, going that next step, you know, uh, just not knowing about him, not just simply being saved, but getting to know God, you know. Um, And so what is the benefit of that? Well, over here in the book of Job, chapter 22, verse 21, we've been utilizing this as a text passage. It says in verse 21, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, thereby... Good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. 
Thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy, deliver, thy defense, and shalt have plenty of silver. thou shalt have plenty of silver. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. Now we talked about a number of things, and we said out of verse 23, we note that the benefit of knowing God, one of those things is we shall be built up. So we begin to know God and understand who He is and what He's all about. And we draw nigh to Christ. Well, we're going to be built up. We said also we shall deal drastically with sin. You know, we begin to get to know who God is. And we recognize His holiness and His, his uh, purity and just uh, His perfection. And we see ourselves in light of all of that. We will begin to deal drastically with sin. We said also we shall be greatly enriched. Greatly enriched. We said that, yes, indeed, we're rich simply because we know him, but also because we're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we then continued and talked about this next one, number four, we shall delight in the Lord himself. As you draw closer to the Lord, as you walk with the Lord, you, you begin to delight in the Lord himself. And that, of course, is important. The Bible says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And we know how important it is to draw close to Christ. He is to be our life, and it should be very, very important to us. Then we said, you know, one of the other benefits of knowing God is we shall receive answers to prayer. And uh, we spent some time talking about what a privilege it was as a believer to be able to go boldly to the throne of grace. And uh, finally, we kind of ended there, and we said, next time we're going to get together, and Lord willing, we'll discuss a couple of others. Well, I got two more for you, and that'll end this particular uh, lesson, not series, but lesson. When we know God, we shall have a fruitful testimony, a fruitful testimony. And then we're going to end tonight and we're going to say, uh, we're going to recognize this one. When, when we, we know God, um, we are going to have God smile upon our life. And so I want to discuss those two tonight. And so we got to get moving along uh, somewhat quickly. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll just jump right in. Father, we love you. Thank you for these that have gathered. May it be profitable for each. Lord, speak to me. Let me be your mouthpiece. Fill me with your spirit. Father, we are so unworthy of you. I know I am. And Lord, I thank you so much for loving me in spite of myself. Lord, I thank you for allowing me the privilege of reading your word and knowing you and trying to do my best to serve you. Or tonight, I want to do that. So Lord, uh, may you just speak through me, because Lord, honestly, I have nothing to give thy people, except you give it to me. So speak to me and through me, and Lord, may I be a blessing. I, I, uh, I'm excited about just a certain portion of this lesson, and I pray, Lord, that it would be a help and encouragement to all of us. Well, thank you in Christ's name, amen. Not that I'm not excited about all of it, but there's one portion I'm really excited about. So we'll try to get to it, okay? I told my wife, the worst part is, is that sometimes I have a tendency never to get to the part I really wanted to get to. That's pretty bad, because then I go, man, i got to speed up the part that I really thought was 
the best part, you know, and I, I leave it to the Lord, but uh, with the clock waxing and waning and my wife being in the nursery, we're going to move tonight. So anyway, we have a fruit that we, 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 we uh, when we know God, we, have, we shall have a fruitful testimony. Verse 28 and 29, we notice that there it says, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. Now, it seems to be there's somewhat of a parallel between verse 28 that we just read and Matthew 5, 16. When you look at that passage, and it, it says here, it says, And the light shall shine upon thy ways. And then you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and you see uh, it says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It seems to me that God would want us to have a fruitful testimony. It seems that God wants us to be in a position where his light is seen in the world through us. And, and so we notice that. But also in verse 29, he goes on here in the passage to say, When men shall, are cast down, then shalt thou say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. I, I kind of look at that passage, and I, I'm I kind of reminded of Jude chapter 1, uh, where we look at verses 22 and 23, and the Bible says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Again, then thou shalt say, in verse 29, there is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. But we're to have compassion and make a difference in the lives of others. And, and you know, we do that through a testimony, of course. But uh, I, I want to consider, I, I look at this verse in Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. Turn there, would you please? Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. It kind of goes along with this somewhat as well. And, and, and I want to note it, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. It says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Well, it seems to me that God would have all of us to be in a position where others can see the joy of the Lord in our life. where it's, it's obvious that there's something unique and something different about us from what, the world in which we live. In the 19, excuse me, in the 1840s, a fellow by the name of John Getty, he left the pastorate of a church in Canada to take his wife and two small children to the South Sea Islands to begin a mission work there. After a voyage of more than 20,000 miles, let me tell you something, it wasn't by air, that, that's a long voyage, especially back in the 1840s. They arrove in the new hybrid, hybrid islands and uh, the island chain was filled with cannibals. And more than 20 crew members of a British ship had recently been killed and eaten. And that's when the Gettys arrived on the mission field. Him and his wife and family. And they faced the difficulty of learning a language that had never been in written form. And they had the constant threat, of course, of being killed by these uh, cannibals. Slowly at first, but surely... A few converts did come. And then it seemed that many others began to receive Christ. Getty continued his ministry faithfully. He uh, even translated the entire Bible into that native language. He planted 25 churches. For many of those years, Getty labored with little help and little word from home. But God was faithful to him. In the pulpit of the church, Getty pastored for so many years... There stands a, a plaque in his honor which says these words. It says, When he landed in 1848, 
There were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. Isn't that something? Do you know how that was accomplished? Through a testimony. Through a testimony. That didn't just happen. That wasn't just some man and some woman and some family that would necessarily just stand and talk about Jesus Christ. They lived it. It made a, true, a tremendous impact in the lives of those on that island where once they would have eaten the very men that came onto the island to witness to them, and in some cases they did. Now they were sitting at a feast, dining with them, trying to win them to Christ. What a transformation that took place because of a testimony. I started thinking about that word testimony, and I thought I'd look it up in the Bible a little bit, and so I started digging a little bit. And what I found was that when you consider the word testimony, uh, it, it, it means, of course, what we're used to. It's kind of like a, a, a witness would give a testimony, right? A, a witness on a stand or something like that. Basically, they'd give proof of some particular fact. Over in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. These, uh, disciples are, uh, these, these disciples were sent out two by two, and of course they went into the villages to preach where the Lord had sent them, and if they were told, if, if they were rejected, the message was rejected, he told them, you go ahead and shake the dust off your shoes. Shake it off your feet as a testimony against them, a witness against them. In the scriptures, we note also that when we use the word testimony, it's, it has to do with the two tables of the law. Remember, Moses came out of the mountain. He had those tables of the law. God had written with his finger on the, the stones. It goes on to say in Exodus twenty five sixteen, Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. Again, referring to those stone tablets, those two tables. Not only that, but the book of the law itself was, was often referred to as the testimony. Over in 2 Kings eleven twelve, it says, He brought forth the king's son. And gave him the testimony. The testimony. The Gospels, of course, they testify of Jesus Christ to declare the will of God. They're referred to as well as the testimonies. The ark itself often. And then the word of God itself. The scriptures, when you think about the scriptures, it goes on in Psalm 19.70. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So when we consider this word testimony, it's interesting here. I, I mean, the, the, the psalmist even says, I love thy testimonies. I have kept thy testimonies. And so the word testimony in the Bible refers to God's word. It refers to his statute. It refers to his law. And it is his testimony that literally impacts our life. It impacts our life now and it impacts our life forever. His testimony does. You get where I'm going with this? It's the Lord's testimony. It's when you open this book and you see His Word. It's when you open this book and you read about His life. It changes and transforms a life like mine and like yours. When we speak of a testimony then, we're speaking about our words or the message to those around us and to the world that we live in. So your testimony tonight is rooted in your words and in the life which speaks volumes. 
Because see, again, the testimony has to do with what they hear, what they, what, what they are gain, gleaning from. It's their, the, the words they speak to us. And you know what? Your life speaks to someone. Your words and your life speak. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we're, we're speaking here of this testimony that comes about when we get to know God, when we really begin to know Him, then we're going to have a fruitful testimony. What it means is what they're going to hear from us is something positive on behalf of God. They're going to hear something that's going to change their life. They're going to see, and should I say, they're going to hear from our, our, our actions, they're going to hear from our, our speech those things which will transform their lives. You want to know why more people aren't being saved today? It's because our testimony, the words which we're speaking, and the life which we're sharing is not making a difference because it's not a sound any different than they're used to hearing. Our testimony, it's got, if it's going to be fruitful, then it has to be a testimony rooted in the Word of God and a testimony that is, is a result of a relationship with Christ that is intimate and personal. So our words and our message, so important. What you say and what you you do sends a message. So what do your words say tonight? What does your life say to those around you, whether it be your children or your family, your your husband or wife, your your, your grandparents? Uh, What's it say to the world in which we live, to our co-workers, to our classmates, what, is your, what, is, what are your words saying? What is your life saying? See, when you do anything, it sends a message. Do you hear me? When you do anything. Anything. See, when you don't come to church, it says something. When you don't read your Bible, it says something. When you do read your Bible, it says something. When you do come to church, it says something. So whether you're doing or you're not doing, it's always saying something. You're speaking all the time through your words and your actions. I'm speaking all the time through my words and actions. That's called a testimony. And people often are like, that's no big deal. So, so, I, so I didn't attend this, or I didn't do that, or I didn't go here. It's no big deal. Everything's a big deal. Because everything says something. Don't you get that? We somehow believe that we're anonymous, that nobody, we have this anonymity. Nobody cares about us. Nobody really looks at us. Nobody listens to us. Let me tell you something. Everything you say, everything you do says something. Says something. That's all there is to it. Say, well, I, I told somebody I, I, I watched this show. You just said something. I'm not talking about what you said. You said something about who and what you are by the show you watch. Well, I didn't go to church because I went to the ball game. You just said something about your Christianity and what's important to you. You just said, you just said something. You, you, you don't think you did, but you did. I'm just saying we don't understand that. That's true in your marriage too. I, I didn't recognize my... Uh, uh, my, my anniversary. You just said something. You just said something, sir. Trust me, your wife just heard it loud and clear. You say, well, that's different. No, that's exactly what the Christian... Everything we do, everything we don't do says something. I just want to encourage you. The testimony, it's so important. 
And when we think of testimony, we, I don't know, maybe we lose the idea of what a testimony is. But our words say something. Our life says something. It's sharing a message with people. And the message people ought to get should change their life. That's where our breakdown is. The testimony is not where it ought to be. It's not as fruitful as it should be. Oh, wait, what's the real reason for that? Because we don't know God the way we should. Because our relationship with him isn't, we're not an intimate enough. We're not as close to him as we ought to be. He's not rubbing off on us like he ought to. And so therefore our words and our deeds and life just don't say what they ought to. They're saying what the world says. They're not saying what Christ would say. See, we work too hard at trying to do the right things, even though we don't have the right relationship with him. We do the right things, but we don't have the right heart. And you people are like big about, it, you know, well, you know, uh, you guys care too much about what people do and not about what they, about their heart. Well, I'm telling you that your heart's a mess then, and so is mine. It's so corrupted by the world that our light's not shining through, that Christ is not able to get through it all. And so we do need to focus on that. Yes, but listen, don't let anybody kid you either. What you do says something. But you ought to just at least do it for the right reasons, I guess is what we're trying to say. See, some are out here in church maybe for the wrong reason. I'm glad you're here no matter why you're here tonight. I don't care if you're here because somebody drug you here. You need to be here. But the fact is, is that I would hope at some point you want to be here because it won't really make a difference in your testimony till you want to be here. Because when you're out at school or work or play, he won't show through because you don't really want to be here. It's not in here yet. Testimony. Here's a warning, and I just want to share this. Uh, I once read about a little boy who said, Dad, did Grandpa make you go to Sunday school when you were my age? His dad said, well, he sure did. We went every Sunday. Little boy said sadly, well, you bet it won't do me any good either. Now, that's just a little antidote to try to remind us of how important it is to realize it's not just about attending church. Yeah, there's so much more to it than that. You know, pastor, we love you. What a blessing. So good. Love the message, brother. God bless you. Thank you. God's good. You know that message preacher's pre preaching? I'm so stupid that party talked about. Can't even believe that. What'd you say, Mama? Nothing. Be quiet. Just keep playing. He's a jerk. Pastor, he's an idiot sometimes. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. And that youth director, my goodness. I don't even know. Sometimes I don't wonder what planet's that guy on. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but let me tell you something. What you're saying is speaking volumes. And what you did back there, shaking hands and, you know, buttering up the pastor and then having him for roast, you know, duck or whatever you want to call me, roast preacher uh, that afternoon. Let me tell you something. That's speaking volumes to your kids. Yeah. 
Well, I raised them in church, preacher. I raised them in church. Yeah, you raised them in church, all right. You were speaking volumes over here, though. And you were speaking volumes on the way home because now they're seeing the inconsistencies. Well, I raised them in church. I don't know what's wrong. I did exactly what you said, preacher, and it didn't work. Oh, okay. That's right. You say, you're wound up. Yeah, I was with a guy that died today. That's what wound me up. You know what? Let me just tell you a little bit about John, okay? John, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, was just like you. And John found out he had pancreatic cancer too. It was less than a week ago, I'm sitting and talking to John, just like I'm talking to you. And today I'm over at his house and he's trying to get out of his bed. Before I left an hour later, he was dead. Let me tell you something. This thing is real. Do you realize that could be any one of us? I'm not trying to scare the kids. I'm just telling you that, that we need to realize that this game we're playing with God, it's not worth playing. Because we could be in John's place. And we wouldn't have time to get it all right and to fix all the issues in our life and to deal with all the problems we've created because we've not been honest with God, ourselves, and those around us. I'm telling you, you better get some things straightened out in your life if you've got problems. I, I was brokenhearted today. I couldn't believe it. I'm praying that the Lord be careful and gentle with him, and he went on to heaven. Listen, I'm telling you, just like that, now, I have a friend that had, has pancreatic cancer. He's been living for over 10 years now. Over 10 years, maybe 12, 13 years, he's still alive. But this guy, probably three weeks after they said he had it, gone. Two weeks, maybe. Unbelievable. I, I don't know. I, just, I look at this stuff and I think to myself, what kind of legacy will we leave If I walked off this earth today and ended up in heaven tonight, what would be said about me? Would it be anything that would be remembered for God? Number seven, I don't know. um, When we know God, we're going to have God smile upon our life. Mendelssohn uh, once visited the cathedral of uh, Freiburg. And having heard the great organ there in the church, he went into the loft and he asked to be allowed to play it. Mendelssohn was a great, great uh, um, musician. The old organist there in somewhat jealousy, jealousy, jealous for his instrument, jealous probably just because he really, you know, this is my instrument, this is my position. Uh, At first he refused. And finally, he, he, you know, after prevailing on about it, um, he allowed the great composer an opportunity to play that wonderful organ in the cathedral. And and that organ, from what I understand, just literally thundered. And after standing in the presence of this man playing the organ and literally standing in ecstasy and delight, he was amazed, just amazed after just a few moments. He suddenly laid his hands on the shoulder of uh, of that musician and he said, who are you? What's your name? He said, Mendelssohn. And he said, and can it be that I had so nearly refused to let Mendelssohn touch this instrument? 
came that close to not allowing that master on that to touch this particular organ, this this instrument. You know, we often refuse to let God have his way in our life, too. You know, we're so afraid of the outcome many times. But if we only would remember what God wants to do, and that the outcome that he has intended for us would be much greater than anything we could dream of on our own. He desperately seeks to smile on our lives. I mean, there's not a parent on earth that doesn't desire the same thing for their children. And when we think about God smiling on his children, we're thinking about God smiling in the sense of, you know, um, smiling on our life by sharing, you know, by I go, his good pleasure, by sharing his guidance and his blessing in our lives. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26 says, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. He goes on and it goes on in Proverbs 4:18 to say, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. You know, I this is the part I wanted to get to, but although every believer, whether obedient or not, to some degree or another, benefits from the Father, that father-child relationship. We, we benefit. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're benefiting from that relationship. Whether or not you are, are, are what you ought to be or not, whether you're truly obedient like you should be or not, you're still benefiting, yes. However, only those who cultivate a close and very intimate relationship can truly enjoy the fullness found in Christ. You know, His smile is reserved for those who seek Him. Sadly, there's a, there tends, I, I don't know, there's a trend among believers today to wittingly or maybe even unwittingly compartmentalize God in their lives. We have a tendency to put God in a box in our life. We allow him to be over in this, this section of our life and we kind of box it off. And then we, we, we leave that box and we move to another area. I have my my religious section, and I have my secular section, and I have my, my uh, work section, and we, 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 we put God over here, and we put him in a box, and he fits there, and we, we function, when we, we deal with God, we function with him in that box, in that place. We compartmentalize our lives. We, we draw lines in the sand. God belongs here, but he's not allowed here, and I can have him over here, but not here. We compartmentalize God. And I believe that, 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 that there's a trend in Christianity. It, it's happening in our lives. We're, we're being taught to do so. You know, we're multitaskers today, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to be, they're trying to teach it multitask, multitask. So you do this and then you do this and now you try to do it all together. And what we're finding is it's very difficult to do that. But in a sense, a Christian should probably be the, the, the most amazing multitasker in the world. Only in that we include God in everything. That there's never a time when he's not number one. That he's always at the forefront. He's always the main, the main character of our life. He's never a supporting actor or actress in that sense. He's always the main character. But we, we compartmentalize our life. And we allow God here. We don't allow him over here. 
Not only that, well, and, and when we think about that, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. That means God ought to be, he, he, he ought to be everything in that regard. Galatians 2.20, what did the Apostle Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live according to the, the uh, live according to the, um, oh, my mind just went blank, uh, Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I like that Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, what, I'm, what we're really saying is this. It's not a matter of permitting Christ a place in my life. As a believer, the truth is, I'm to know God in a way that he can smile on me. And the only way that really happens is when he is, is my life. He's not a piece or a part. He's not a supporting actor or actress. He literally is the main character 24-7. Compartmentalizing. Sadly, again, there's a trend among believers today, whether wittingly or unwittingly, to compare ourselves to others. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, the Bible says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And that's a mouthful. But somebody's comparing themselves to each other. And boy, I tell you what, if you look across this crowd, you look across the, some of the, the, the bus kids, or you look across some of the Sunday morning only, you look across the Wednesday night crowd even, I guarantee you, you look long enough, you'll be able to find somebody that in your at least mind's eye, you could say, well, at least I'm not like them. Well, compared to them, I'm doing really good. Boy, thank God, just kind of like that, that, that uh, publican and, and the, the Pharisee and the publican, you know. Oh, thank God I'm not like him, the publican. That's, that's what we're trying to avoid. But see, it seems to me today that there's a real epidemic in Christianity to compare ourselves to one another. See, we compartmentalize God in our lives. So he's only allowed in portions. But then what we do is compare ourselves to others and we say, well, I'm doing pretty good because even though I compartmentalize God, even though he's not everything in my life, I'm doing a lot better than him or her. And so we justify the way we live. And we come to this, we, we can accept it and we say, well, God understands and, and me and God got a, got a deal going here and, and I, I go to church and I read my Bible and pray and, and I'm involved in the bus ministry or I'm on there on Wednesday nights and I do all those things. Not everybody's doing that. Okay, so maybe I'm not letting Christ be everything in my life. Maybe I'm compartmentalizing God, but compared to them, I'm doing real good. I attend church a lot more than they do. So I'm all right still. Oh, wait a second, because it goes the next step then. Here's what happens. We compartmentalize God in our lives. We compare ourselves to others. And finally, we congratulate ourselves on our walk with God. So now we even congratulate ourselves. It kind of moves on. It went to that next level, and I've already touched on it slightly. But then all of a sudden we say, well, you know, I believe myself to be pretty close to God. I, I think I'm doing pretty good. I remember where I used to be, and I see where I am. I guess that's good. 
And, and almost, if we're not careful, mediocrity becomes the, the standard by which we live. Well, I'm much better than I used to be. I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. I'm in the middle somewhere. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a lot better than everyone else. And you know what? I like God. I still go to church. I still write my Bible and pray. I still work on the buses. I compartmentalize my life. That's okay. I'm doing good. When that's not God's standard. Because sadly enough, because we compartmentalize our lives, we have a tendency now, we compare ourselves, we find ourselves in a position of gratulations. Congratulations, Mark O'Donnell. You're a good pastor. Congratulations, you're better than the norm. Congratulations, you actually don't show up sick all the time. You actually go to church and you do this and this and this and this and this and this. You don't call off for any other reason, blah, 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 blah. And boy, you even go out knocking doors and you go soul winning and you visit people and you read the Bible and you study and you make lessons. Who cares? You know what? If I'm not everything God intends me to be, then I am nothing. If I'm holding back and I'm keeping a portion of it to me, then what am I really fulfilling? I'm doing things in my own strength. What? Who cares? Compare yourself to whomever you choose. Maybe you can and you will find somebody that you're better than. Look at you. I mean, you're doing your best, I think, I hope. And you could compare yourself to others around the country and find people that you could say, well, at least I do this and this and this and this. But wait a second. Is that really the grounds of congratulating ourselves? Whose job is it to congratulate us? It's his. He's the judge, not us. And we don't judge ourselves to each other. We judge ourselves in comparison to his perfect standard, Jesus Christ. See, the trend only distances us from God who gave his very best for us. And you know, we are fools to believe that God is impressed or pleased with part-time religion, part-time devotion, part-time commitment. To say I love God but only show it when it's convenient is suspect. You know, we're being, you know, are we really being completely honest with ourselves and honest with God about our real heart for God? You know, if, if we lack a constant hunger and a thirst for him and his word, what state are we in? I don't care what we're doing. What's our spiritual status? If there's no hunger and thirst for God and his word, I mean hunger and thirst. You know why we're struggling getting boys in the ministry today? Because they have no hunger and thirst for God. It's not a very long... Can I tell you the truth? It's not a far step from totally sold out for God to the ministry. Look, Totally sold out for God, ministry. Matter of fact, totally sold out for God. I hope God calls me to the ministry. Do you know how hard that... That's, that's such a small step. You want to know why it's so hard for our young people today? Because they're not right here. They're back here. And they're going, I feel called the ministry, but I still know now. You want to know why you don't know? Because you're too far from the starting line. Man, I mean to tell you, I got to do a, whoa! I didn't make it. I guess God don't want me there. Just hurt my knee, by the way. All I'm saying is, 
Every one of us in the room ought to live such a sold out life that honestly, the ministry would just be. You get where I'm going with this? What? That's all I'm saying. You don't have to be a preacher to be sold out. There's a lot of preachers that aren't sold out. So that's not the standard either. The standard is present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Wow, and that's that's what I ought to be. See, you and I really are the same. We're Christians. I get that the, the role of pastor demands a certain standard according to the Bible. I get it. I get that. But our hearts should be knit together in fellowship with him. Because if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. We ought to have a constant hunger and a thirst. I believe it's possible to convince ourselves that we love God and are truly committed when in fact we're not. I believe we can do that. And while we're at church or in the right setting, we talk a good game and we really want to do right. I believe that. But unfortunately, that's not every setting. And I just want to, I just want to encourage you tonight. Man, I mean, we're talking about the benefit of knowing God. Knowing God's the key, though. The rest of it happens when we really focus on knowing Him. Paul said that I may know Him. That I may know Him. If you could get to know anybody in this world, who would you choose? If you could get to know anybody in this world, who would you choose? Sadly for believers, many of us would not choose the very one who gave his life for us. We'd rather know somebody else more intimately and personally. Because in our opinion, we already know him good enough. And let me say this, if, if that's not the case in your life at all, if this doesn't apply to you at all, praise God for that. Because I don't know your heart, you don't know mine. And so I'm not indicting everybody, I'm not trying to rip everybody. I'm just saying, as believers, I, I just feel like maybe we need to think about it. Just ask ourselves some of those simple questions. And really dwell on, where do I stand with God? What is my heart and my desire? And how does that reflect in my actions and attitude. I mean, if I really, because remember, everything I say and do says something. So if indeed I am 100% committed, 100% in, is everything I'm saying and doing saying that? And it ought to. It ought to. With our attitude, our actions, our words, our speech, a testimony and it ought to be testifying to that reality well just some food for thought and God help us as believers to know him because there's so many wonderful benefits will be built up we'll deal drastically with sin we'll be greatly enriched we'll delight in the Lord himself we'll receive answers to prayer we'll have a fruitful testimony and we'll have God smile on our life I think I think you want that I know I, I want that too Let's get to know him in a more intimate way. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together.